to answer my creator. Talk, you have my focus. Sing your songs of freedom. Bring your word of life to feed my soul. Holy God, fall afresh on us, we pray. Spirit, move as we come to seek your face. For we are thirsty for you. We're longing to meet you anew. Nothing else compares. Nothing else comes close to knowing you. So listen to those words as Lou Fellingham sings them. it there. May that be our prayer this morning, that nothing else comes close to knowing Jesus and he wishes to speak to us this morning. I don't know whether my PowerPoint is primed, there it is. And the passage that Steve has just read to us is all about how Gideon responds to God speaking. Here is a, a man going about his business and God speaks. But before we unpack that together, I want to tell you a little bit about this man. And some of you may have seen during January a programme on television about the Windermere children or the Windermere boys. I'm getting a few knots here and there. It turns out that after the Second World War in 1946, this country took in a thousand children who had been in the concentration camps. A country that was starving at that time took in a thousand child refugees. I'll just leave that hanging there. 
And 300 of these were housed by this very generous man in uh, Windermere on his estate there. And this young man, Ben Elfcott, was one of those boys. He had been in three concentration camps before he was liberated in 1945, in the, the August of, of 1945. And then he arrived in Windermere, slightly recovered from his ordeal, as in he had some flesh on his bones, but not actually recovered, obviously. It turned out he was a talented athlete. And in this... Uh, estate in Windermere. It had been used as a training camp during the war. And the guy whose brainchild this was brought in a psychologist, brought in an art therapist, brought in a teacher and brought in a PE uh, specialist in order to help rehabilitate these boys who were going to be there for three months until they went to live with families across the country. The PE teacher, as he's portrayed in the TV programme, I can't be sure of how much truth was in that, obviously, but there is an element of truth, was training these lads into a football team. And he looked at Ben and he said to him, you are an athlete. This lad who'd just come out of three concentration camps, who wouldn't have been physically fit, who wouldn't have had all the nutrition he needed. But the teacher looked at him and said, you are an athlete. And he, in the film, he gave him a book for particular exercises to build up his strength because he could see the potential in this young man, even when he was still emaciated, still physically not fit, psychologically hugely damaged from his experience. The PE teacher says, you are an athlete. It turned out that Sir Ben Helfgott, not an easy word for us English people to say, <laughs> went on to represent and captain Great Britain in weightlifting in the Olympic Games in 1956 and 1960. He won the bronze medal in the Commonwealth Games and he's one of only two Jewish athletes to compete in the Olympic Games after surviving the Holocaust. And a PE teacher said to him, you are an athlete. How does that relate to Gideon? You might be asking yourself. Well, stick with me and hopefully it will make sense as time goes by. So we come to Judges. A little bit of the backstory here. The beginning of chapter 6 clearly says, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. The book of Judges isn't a cheery read, is it? And much of the time we're getting the mantra that they're just doing things their own way and God is just giving them up to what they're doing. And here we have this in chapter 6 repeatedly this recurring phrase the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord therefore they were under the oppression the occupation of the Midianites and so the Israelites are hiding out in the mountains and the caves and any other stronghold any livestock or crops that they had or they grew was either stolen or destroyed we read in verses 4 and 5 thus in verse 6 we're told Israel is greatly impoverished they're in a mess. 
But we learn in verses 7 to 10 that God's saying, I'm sorry, but this is what you're going to get if you don't follow my way, is the summary of verses 7 to 10. They'd kind of brought this mess upon themselves, but what a wonderful thing that even though they brought this mess upon themselves, as God's chosen people, he was always going to love them and still wanted to call them back to himself. Because no matter how far we stray from God, he never stops loving us. Then enter Gideon, the hero of the moment, maybe. The son of Joash, the Abirazite. How do you say that name? I don't know. I was listening carefully. I'm thinking, how's Steve going to say it? (laughs) I can't get it right either. One of the clans of Manasseh. Who were they? Well, Manasseh was the eldest son of Joseph to his Egyptian wife. Okay, so that gives you a bit of the backstory. Here we have Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, Middle Eastern wine presses, okay, are big, open, trough-like constructions that you tramp around in like this, okay? This is what you do in a Middle Eastern wine press to trample down the grapes, and I'm sure you end up with very sticky feet. That's what a wine press is like. Grinding grain is done by putting it through two huge circular stones and normally this would have been uh, manipulated by a donkey or something pulling the stones round so they grind the wheat in the open air so that the wind blows away the chaff. How on earth is Gideon, how is he, how is he doing this? How is he beating the wheat in a wine press? What's interesting is we do discover a bit later he had access to a threshing floor in verse 37. It's where he spreads his fleece out. When we have the, the, the thing when he's trying to work out God's guidance or not. He's hiding. He's hiding from the Midianites. He is hiding because of fear of them stealing the grain, of stealing any food they made. He is hiding. Enter into this situation the angel of the Lord, who says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, verse 12. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Tramp, 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 tramp. Slightly crazy looking really, isn't it? And then in verse 14, he says, go in the strength you have, and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Really? Thinks Gideon, really? Or in my version, the NRSV, it says, go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I hereby commission you. What is Gideon's response? His response is, Bear in mind, the angel has just said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That was the opening gambit of the angel. Gideon's response is, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my family. He missed something, didn't he? He missed something. He missed the very name that the angel of the Lord gave him. The angel of the Lord didn't turn up and say, Morning, Gideon. Hello, Gideon, son of Joash. 
That was his given name. No, the angel of the Lord says, the Lord be with you, mighty warrior, that was the name that the angel gives Gideon. Gideon bypasses it. He looks immediately to what has just been said to him of what he will do and says, how can I save Israel? Panic. Panic ensues for the man who's tramping around in the wine press trying to thresh wheat. And the Lord's simple response to his objection is, I will be with you. It's actually the same response the Lord gives to both Moses and Jeremiah when they raise a similar objection, that I am the least of the least. Both in Exodus 3 and Jeremiah 1, you will find the same response from the Lord. I will be with you. Now that kind of puts Gideon right up there, doesn't it? This important people. Gideon, the very human being that he is, and I think that's why we love him, really. He seeks a sign, a confirmation, so he presents an offering before the Lord. He goes off and he prepares a kid, a goat, unleavened bread. He prepares the meat, he prepares the broth. This is not quick. He didn't get a packet of food from Iceland and stick it under the grill. This is not quick. This takes time to prepare this food and all the time the angel of the Lord is sitting under the oak tree, presumably. He comes to present an offering to the Lord. If this is the Lord speaking to me, I need to worship Almighty God. And so his offering is presented. The angel of the Lord strikes it with his staff and it's immediately consumed by fire. In verse 21. And then the angel of the Lord disappears. The Bible's so frustrating sometimes, isn't it? The angel of the Lord disappears. Gideon's now worked out, this is God speaking to me. At the point, he'd really quite like to have a further conversation about what's just been asked. The angel of the Lord disappears. And that terrifies Gideon because he realises that if he's just met the Lord face to face, surely he will die. That is what Moses was told if he saw the Lord face to face he would die the Lord reassures him in verse 23 you will not die peace be with you do not fear then he begins to receive some instructions Midian this is the people who don't worship Yahweh the almighty God these are the people that worship multiple gods and Baal and Asherah being key ones. And obviously, Gideon's family have been engaged in this idol worship because they have created family idols, we discover. And so God's first instruction to Gideon is to take down these idols. That's God's first instruction to him. Destroy the altars of Baal and the Asherah poles. Gideon is obedient and courageous. But note, he does do it at night. So maybe he's an incy-wincy bit courageous. Maybe he's a tiny bit of the mighty warrior at this point in time as he smashes down the huge bowl and the huge Asherah pole. They would have been huge, actually. This picture does not do it justice. I searched for a better one, couldn't find one. So there we go. 
he pulls them down and destroys the family idols. He puts God back in first place is what he is doing here. He is putting Yahweh, the Lord Almighty, back in first place. And note the altar he then builds to the Lord is made from the wood of the Asherah pole. How symbolic is that? So we've gone from this man tramping around in a load of, uh, uh, with a load of um, grain in a wine press, hiding from the Midianites, to receiving a visitation from the angel of the Lord who told him he was a mighty warrior and was going to save the people of Israel. He's kind of put that on the back burner. He's confirmed it was the Lord that was there because his offering was acceptable and got burnt up. First instruction in destroy the idols. And he does that at night. He's making progress, isn't he? He's making progress. He's beginning to listen. And we know that he continues to dialogue with God. We know all about the sign of the fleece and finding out and how many he should have in the army of Midian and what then proceeds in the next few chapters. But if you move on just a little bit, from we stopped our reading at verse 27, but if you move on a little bit, you get the, the effects of what happens in the townspeople when they come and discover that the idols have been destroyed. And Gideon, in verse 34, he picked up a trumpet, he sounded the trumpet, to rally the call for the people of Abersrite to follow him. At that point, the Spirit of God came on Gideon and he blew the trumpet. At that point, the Spirit of God fell on him. He offered an act of worship to the Lord, the angel of the Lord that came. He smashed down the idols and put God back in first place. He stood up to the people around him who were crying out, so why have you destroyed these idols? Then the Spirit of the Lord falls upon him. And what did the angel of the Lord call him? Oh, mighty warrior. Do you think maybe he began to step into, step into the very name that God has given him? Remember I told you at the beginning about Ben Helfgott? The PE teacher said, you are an athlete. That lad had, a, had, lad had a name. It was Ben. The PE teacher said, you are an athlete. The angel of the Lord said to Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. That's what the angel of the Lord said. And I just want to focus back on two statements. This statement, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And then this seemingly strange command, go in the strength that you have, or in my version, go in the might that is yours. How odd is that? You see, you can almost take the, you are, the might, you are a mighty warrior, and the Spirit of the Lord descends on him. So that's fine. He's fully empowered by God. That's how he does what he goes to do. But actually the Lord also says to him, go in the strength that you have, 
or go in the might that is yours. You see, there is something in here about the fact that Gideon was already equipped about who he was, that he had strength within him. He had might within him because of who he was. And the Spirit of the Lord was going to descend on him and fulfil the mighty warrior in him. But the plain and simple truth is that A, he's a mighty warrior, and B, he has strength and he has might. It's a statement of fact that the angel of the Lord brings before him. I'm going to go a bit left field right now. Do people here love only fools and horses? Yeah. Do you remember the episode where Del Boy has a baby, or rather his wife does? It's Cassandra, his wife. <laughs> yeah, you see, you do, don't you? I tried to find a film clip, but it doesn't come out well enough that the footage is too old. And so you've got Rodney and Grandad waiting outside as they can hear the agonies going on as Cassandra is giving birth. And then Del Boy comes out into the corridor all gowned up. And uh, so Rodney and Grandad say, what is it, Del Boy, what is it? And Del Boy goes, it's a baby! he states the plain, simple, obvious truth. It's a baby! And it's to tell them that it's a boy. That comes a bit later. But the point of that is what the Lord God is saying to Gideon is you are a mighty warrior and go in the strength and might that you have. This, to God, is the plain and simple facts of the matter. Plain and simple facts of truth. Gideon brushes it off. And what does Gideon do? Gideon looks at the problem. That's what he does. Gideon sees the problem. The task is so big that he doesn't hear what God says about him. What do we do when God speaks to us? Do we hear what he really says about us? Or do we get so task-focused and so problem-solving focused that we don't get it? I'm a fairly natural problem solver, both my husband and I. Watch out when you get the pair of us together, really. Uh, and I, I will tend to be focused towards where we're going and how we're going to get there, which means I can miss some important stuff that has to be heard. And it has to be, you have to stop and listen. Yeah, we are going there, but I need to listen first. You see, Gideon didn't hear these very important words. You are a mighty warrior and go in the strength that you have. I think he learnt it as he went along, particularly as the Lord starts chopping back his army. That was an uncomfortable time, wasn't it? So what is it that Gideon does when he hears God speak? What are the things that we can learn? He is called and he is commissioned. That's a statement, that's truth, that's fact. He's called a mighty warrior and he's commissioned to go by God in his strength and in God's strength. There's two things he does which I've just mentioned which aren't so good, which is that he gets bogged down in the task and looks at the problem and he misses hearing God about who he really is. But the positive things that he does, he seeks confirmation that he actually does hear from God. And the whole preparation of the sacrifice, 
he went to great lengths to discover that this was the angel of the Lord and was truly awed by the fact that it was. The second thing he does is he worships and puts God first. He destroys the idols and he puts the worship of Yahweh back in centre place where it should be. And the third thing that happens is the spirit of the Lord falls upon him. Then he can walk in the truth of who he is. He seeks confirmation when he hears God's voice. He worships and puts God first. Then the spirit of the Lord falls upon him. The Lord wanted him, called him and commissioned him to be a mighty warrior. And that mattered so much more than the fact that he was tramping around in a wine press trying to thresh wheat, which made no sense. Now where am I going with this? What about us? Who are we in God's eyes? Who does God say you are? What name does God rest over you? If I had some kind of multi-sensory vision right now, what little names would I see sitting above your heads? I'd probably see things like prayer warrior. I'd probably see mighty warrior out there somewhere. I'd see healer. I'd see one who gives hospitality. I'd see encourager. I'd see worship leader. I'd see servant-hearted. I'd see generosity, I'd see preacher, I'd see teacher, I'd see evangelist, I'd see prophet. That's what I would see resting above your heads. But what do you know about who God says you are? Who does God say you are? You might be called Jean or Joe or Fred or Sylvie or, or Elizabeth or, or Simon. They are given name, but who does God say you are? You see, years and years ago, God told me I was a mighty warrior and he hasn't stopped saying it. I find it distinctly uncomfortable and I brush it away on a regular basis. And then God brings me back to Gideon. And I have to recognise, okay, I might not look like a mighty warrior, I might not think I am, but God by his spirit says I am. And he says the same thing to you about whoever you are. You see, who God says you are will affect how you hear him speak. And then when he calls you to do something, when you know who you are, you can step forward in that. You too can say, Lord, have you actually said that? You can confirm it with other people. You can check it out in the scriptures. You too can say, Lord, I worship you and put you first in my life. And then you can say, okay, how do I take the first small steps of obedience then to fulfil this calling, this name that you have given me? Gideon was asked to go in his strength. He was asked to go in the might that was his. You see, God took his very lack of courage, his very brokenness, because God knew there was strength in that. You know, Gideon says that he is the least of the least and the lowest tribe. When he comes to destroy the idols, he has servants that help him. Hang on a minute. He had status, therefore, if he had servants. He thought he was the least of the least. He thought he was the least of the least. 
And therein lies the problem, doesn't it? Because in God's eyes, even if you are broken and damaged, even if you, 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 you carry great many scars, God still says, when you were in your darkest place, I saved you. When you were furthest from me, I picked you up. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't need you repaired and neatly put back together before he can use you. As Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show all this all-surpassing power that is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair. Both persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. God uses our very brokenness because he says to you, he says to you, you are a great lady or man of hospitality. You are a great prayer warrior. You are called to with all that you have inside you that he will then redeem and purify and heal. And then you will look as beautiful as this bowl. Some of you may have come across the Japanese art of kintsugi. It's their art of repairing broken bowls with gold. They're put back together with gold. And you see, when God redeems our lives and puts us back together, he puts us back together with something more precious than gold, the blood of Jesus, broken on the, poured out on the cross for us. Because the Lord wants to come here this morning and say, the Lord be with you, O mighty warriors, O people of peace, of people of prayer, of people with healing, of people who are amazing administrators. The Lord be with you, O people who welcome. The Lord be with you, O people that cook. The Lord be with you, the people that prophesy. The Lord be with you, the people that preach and teach. The Lord be with you and go in the strength that you have. Putting him first, empowered by his Holy Spirit, and crushing the idols that are in your life because worshipping God and placing him in first place is so much greater and so much better. So what is God's name for you? If you don't know, ask him. If you don't know, ask someone to pray with you about that. What did God last say to you? How will you test it? How will you walk in it? And he says you are sufficient in your brokenness because of Jesus' blood shed on the cross.